Today on Blue 58, the Packers send one defensive back to injured reserve and add another via waivers. How are they going to get them all on the field? Is it even possible? Let's discuss. Then we'll be joined by a special guest to help us get a little perspective on what the Denver Broncos could be bringing to Lambeau Field this Sunday. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Glad a lot to cover today, so let's go ahead and dive Right in. The Packers making some roster moves this week. One of them kind of a bummer. Raven Green is headed to injured reserve, had an ankle injury in uh, Sunday's win over the Minnesota Vikings, and it looks like he could be out for a while. Conservative estimates look like 10 weeks. Sounds like he may have to have some surgery, which is just really too bad because he was both a good player and a really good story dating back to last year, making the roster undrafted out of James Madison. And it looked for all the world like he was going to be playing a big role for the Packers on defense this year. And it's not clear in the short term how the Packers are going to replace him. Ibrahim Campbell is still a ways off on the pup list. And if the Packers are looking for someone to play that sort of hybrid linebacker role, I'm not sure that player is on the roster right now. I'm not sure they have somebody who can slide in there quite as easily as uh, as Raven Green. Although uh, Josh Jones is still out there um, on his couch someplace. So if they really need somebody, they could see if he's changed his mind about being willing to do uh, that kind of job. That is a joke. I don't think that's actually going to happen. But a bummer, Raven Smith, uh, Raven Green, excuse me, on his way to injured reserve. Tremont Smith is coming in to take his place on the active roster. Functionally, the Packers replace Raven Green with Smith, uh, taking the roster spot vacated by Green moving to injured reserve. Smith, pretty good-sized guy, 6 feet tall, 190 pounds out of central Arkansas, sixth-round pick of the Kansas City Chiefs last year, 2018. Central Arkansas, little tiny school. Go Bears, by the way. Google their football field. You will like this. It's 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 pretty wild. Trust me, just look it up. Uh, Smith... Another high-test athlete for Brian Gutekunst. 4-4 range in the 40. Pretty solid numbers elsewhere among his measurables. Thought of as a corner, but mainly a kick returner and um, kick coverage guy. He averaged just under 27 yards per kickoff return on 33 returns last year. Did not return a punt. The Chiefs tried him a little bit on offense over the summer. A little bit at running back and a little bit at wide receiver. That's something that you do with really athletic guys when you're not really sure what they are. And I tend to think that's more an indictment of his football football talents than praise. If he could do one thing well, he'd probably be doing that for the Kansas City Chiefs, and he'd probably be doing it right now. Instead, he's available and now in Green Bay. But I do think there's a fairly good chance he could be here for a bit. Pretty good size, speed combo. Six foot, 190 pounds is, is not too bad for a defensive back. Not too bad for, say, like a punt gunner, something like that. He did play 74 snaps on defense for Kansas City last year. He also played nearly 200 on special teams, 196 to be exact. That reminded me of another sort of snap profile that the Packers added over the offseason. Chandon Sullivan played 87 snaps on defense in Philly as kind of a bit player last year but just 53 on special teams. So they're kind of different models of the same player, Sullivan and Smith. Both lower-end cornerbacks, both will do spot duty 
on uh, on defense and play some special teams. The difference is Sullivan is going to lean a little bit more toward defense, and Smith is going to lean a lot more towards special teams. That brings us to the final point here I want to make before we jump into our topic with our special guest. The Packers have a lot of corners right now. In fact, you could say the Packers roster looks like an octagon right now because they've got eight corners. Please enjoy that very, very cheesy joke. That's a lot of corners. That's not going to last. And you can even argue that there's more corners with Will Redmond playing safety. Uh, he, He came into the league as a corner, though he's probably officially now and forever a safety now. Eight corners is not going to last. This is pretty unusual. And even seven is on the higher end. So something's going to give here. Who's it going to be? When is it going to happen? I'm not sure. And I'm not, I'm not really sure um, if we can speculate on it either. There's been a lot of people who have talked about Josh Jackson heading out of town in like a trade for Minka Fitzpatrick or something like that. That's not going to happen. Fitzpatrick is on his way to Pittsburgh. But it is interesting that he has not played a whole lot this year. He was banged up in, in, the, in the preseason and training camp. But even so, you'd thought he, you'd think he'd play a little bit on defense, just get out there for a snap or two. It really hasn't happened. Uh, something's going to give here sooner or later. We're going to figure out uh, the real number of corners the Packers need. It's not eight. Something's going to give, and it's probably going to happen pretty soon. I said I don't know in there a couple times, and I'm going to use that as my segue into the next little bit that I want to talk about here. I think one of the most honest things you can say is I don't know. I try to say that when it is honestly the case about football stuff. When I'm doing this podcast, I try to stick, honestly, as much as I possibly can to things that I do know or things that I'm at least confident about and then let other people explain what I don't. And then we've got one of those situations today. The Packers play the Broncos on Sunday. Vic Fangio is the new head coach of the Denver Broncos. And Vic Fangio has given Aaron Rodgers all kinds of trouble over the years, first as the defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers and then as the coordinator for the Bears the last couple of years. How does he do it exactly? I don't really know, but I know someone who does. Jeff Esri writes for MileHighReport.com, the Denver Broncos SB Nation blog. He's been doing some pretty extensive breakdowns on Fangio's defense prior to his time now in Denver and what it's looked like with the Denver Broncos now, plus just an overview of how it all works. He was kind enough to join me for a few minutes earlier today, so we're going to give you that conversation right now. Here's Jeff Esri of MileHighReport.com breaking down the Denver Broncos defense with me. I'll be back shortly with some more stuff on the Packers. So Jeff, just to start, I want to rewind kind of to the offseason. Even though we're heading into week three, I want to go back a couple months. There were a ton of offensive head coaches that filled available gigs this offseason. You had people like Matt LaFleur, for example, in Green Bay, really offensive background. But the Broncos, with their head coaching vacancy going about as different a direction as you can. What was your first thought when you found out they'd be hiring Vic Fangio? I think the very first thought is potentially one that um, other fans had as well is um, wanting to go in that direction of, you know, the younger head coach, maybe more offensive minded specifically because of you know how poor Denver's offense has been um, in the past several years and really wanting them to innovate on the offensive side. And so after, you know, seeing Gary Kubiak come along, even though he, you know, was very successful in Denver and taking him to the Super Bowl. But after, you know, you had John Fox, Gary Kubiak, and then 
you know, a younger guy in Vance Joseph, but a defensive minded head coach. I think fans were really looking um, for maybe somebody a little younger and on the offensive side, kind of keeping up with the league trends. And so my first reaction to hearing, you know, Vic Fangio was it wasn't the most positive, um, but I, I do believe after kind of digging in and you know seeing what he's about, that he was a one of the perfect fits for Denver. And I, I do think Denver did experience a little bit of, you know, they were probably jumping to maybe swinging the pendulum the other way after a young rookie head coach in Vance Joseph went poorly. They went with, you know, the really long established veteran with a proven track record. And, you know, John Elway talked about wanting the next head coach to be an expert on one side of the ball, whether that was offense or defense. Um, and Vic Fangio is certainly that, you know, an expert on the defensive side of the ball and been in the league for you know many years. And so I think it, it panned out. Um, it, I, I came around to the idea um, as a fan. And then also I think what helped was the hiring of offensive coordinator, Rich Scangarello. And so Denver got uh, kind of a bit of best of both worlds where you've got the defensive minded, you know, head coach and, you know, grizzled veteran in Vic Fangio, but then you also get the forward-looking, um, you know, innovative offensive mind in Rich Scangarello. At least that's what, you know, the hope is from Denver fans is that he'll be. And so they kind of scratched that itch a little bit in terms of the young offensive um, mind. And um, I think Denver fans have been happy, at least, you know, throughout the offseason with Vic Fangio and have really come around to the idea um, and, and like the fact that uh, he's our guy. You touched on a, a couple words there, three words in particular, that, on describing Vic Fangio that I think are important. Established, proven, expert. I think all of those describe Vic Fangio really well. If you're looking for a defensive head coach, that's pretty much the best you can get in, in, a, in a head coach candidate. What do you think has made him so successful in his career so far? What are the hallmarks of his defense? I think one of the things, and he talked about it in his opening interview um, when he, you know, his introductory press conference for um, the Broncos, he talked about just the necessity of innovating on the defensive side and kind of keeping up because def defense is, you know, inherently a reactive um side of the ball really you're reacting to the trends that are going on you know and what the offense is doing you're reacting to their personnel that they're putting out on the field the different matchups that they're trying to throw at you and so um the ability to adapt as a defensive coordinator i think um is something that vic fangio has shown and, and he's really shown the ability to um, come in and stop some of these, you know, the high flying offenses that have brought a lot of these innovative con concepts. Um, you know, last year they were the ones, the, the bears were really the ones that shut down the, the Rams offense and, um, you know, guys like Kyle Shanahan and the Sean McVay's of the NFL haven't had a ton of success against Vic Fangio's defense. I think, um, he's shown the ability to adapt and be flexible to the different types of offenses that he's faced, but then also kind of adapt his scheme. Um, to the modern, you know, NFL on defense as he's gone along in his career. And he talked about that, in, you know, in his introductory press conference, and it shows through on tape as well with what you see on the defensive side. And I think that's one of the big hallmarks of what makes him, makes him successful. But then also just, um, you know, one of the themes of Denver's coaching staff this year is, and that Vic Fangio wants among all his staff is that they be teachers um, and that they really teach technique and teach the fundamentals um, of the game. And so, I think that's another big piece of um, what make, 
Vic Fangio a good coach is the ability to teach his scheme. Um, and you see it pay out in the results. Specifically, when he was with the Bears, you saw them you know, start, and he really built that defense from the ground up. Um, and they brought in all new, you know, fresh talent and kept adding guys every year. And every year they got incrementally better until what you see in 2018, you know, and at that point they're entrenched in his system and watching them on tape is, you know, it's kind of a thing of beauty to see them all work together in concert and um, the way they all play off of each other and the way they understand the scheme. And that's because of the way that, you know, Vic Fangio has taught it. And so I think those are some of his strengths on the defensive side as a coach. You talked about it a little bit there about working in concert and, and just some of the results you've seen from the Denver defense so far. Now, Denver's coming into this game 0-2, but just from an outside perspective, uh, just a, a surface-level look, it looks like it may not entirely be the defense's fault. They they held the Raiders to just 24 points. They held the Bears to just 16, but still they're 0-2. Uh, what is the difference between the, the reputation of Vic Fangio and the results, and, and really is is it the defense that's falling short so far? Yeah, and I think that's an important distinction to make when I talk about the, you know, the, what we've seen on tape is specifically talking about the 2018 Bears and the way they played well together. And, you know, the hope is for that to translate into the, the 2019 Broncos. So far, the results on the field have been, you know, less than a little bit less than stellar. And you mentioned it, um, you know, specifically with the Raiders. I think we saw um, a lot of miscommunication in the secondary guys still trying to you know figure out how they fit into the defense. And, um, you know, also the staff is kind of coaching around some injuries right now. Bryce Callahan is a guy who knows Vic Fangio's scheme. They brought him over from the Bears, and he was a longtime nickel corner for them and came over to Denver with the intent of him playing, you know, some significant time in the secondary, and he's been hurt for these uh, first two games um, with a foot injury that's been kind of nagging him all offseason. So he hasn't practiced much, and he's been hurt, and so they've – had to play some other guys there at corner, had to move Kareem Jackson down from, you know, they really wanted to play him more at safety and they played him at the nickel spot. So there's a lot of moving pieces. And then um, in the linebacker room, you've had Todd Davis, who is a, you know, longtime um, vet for Denver over the last couple of years, he's played um, in their um, system there. And, you know, he's a leader on the team and in the locker room. Um, and he's been out for a couple these last couple games as well. And so I think what you saw the first two games from the Denver defense is not necessarily indicative of what, you know, we hope to see in the future. And I think they can grow into more of, um, you know, what Vic Fangio's vision is for the defense. But I think you, we saw some flashes, um, you know, in, in the Raiders game, like I mentioned, there was a lot of, um, you know, not a lot of good communication in the secondary and you know, the Raiders kind of picked on Isaac Yadam, who was the, you know, he's a young corner who came in and eventually had to play a lot more playing time than they probably anticipated because of the injury to Bryce Callahan and the Raiders picked on him all game. Um, you know, from the, from the very first snap, it was evident that they were going to be picking on him all game. And so, you know, midway through that game, I broke it down on an article that I did for a mile high report last week. Um, during that game, they had to adjust their defense and kind of roll some coverage towards Isaac Yadam, um, change up some of the way they were calling things specifically against trips um, and the way they were isolating him on the backside of, you know, those three by one sets um, to, to really give Yadam some help. And so I think once they got that ironed out, they stuck with that throughout the Bears game. And there was a lot better results from the defense in the Bears game. And, um, 
you know, it wasn't talked about a ton after the Bears game because there's a lot more things to talk about in terms of, you know, people were worried about you know, the lack of sacks on, you know, from Von Miller and Bradley Chubb and the lack of pressure and the fact that the defense gave up a fourth and 15 for them to get down, you know, at the end of the game to kick that winning field goal. But the defense actually played really well and they improved. A key stat from that is they held, they allowed the Raiders to convert 71% of their third downs. Um, but against the Bears, they essentially inversed that and they held them to 27% third down um, conversion rate. And that's a massive, you know, improvement from week to week. And obviously the Bears don't have you know, the greatest offense and Mitch Trubisky's struggled the last two weeks. But um, with that drastic of an improvement, you know, it's not just all on the offense that you're playing. Um, there's there was improvement in execution on the defensive side. Um, and they improved in the running game as well, outside of a couple big busted plays on some, you know, misdirection, you know, wide receiver um, type plays. They held the Bears to, I think, 3.24 yards per carry, um, aside from a couple of those big busted plays that they did on the outside. And so the defense improved drastically, I think, from week one to week two. And so it'll be really interesting, you know, this next week as we go into the game against the Packers, because they've got, you know, a really good offense that, is much better than the bears. And so it'll be a great test. I think for Denver of kind of, this will probably be the litmus test of where they're at as a defense. They've had a little bit of time to shake the cobwebs off and scheme around potentially um, some of the injuries and the replacement guys that are in there. And actually we may, we may see Todd Davis um, and Bryce Callahan take the field against the Packers. And so at that point, I think this game will be a really um, kind of litmus test for what Vic Fangio is wanting to do for this defense. Um, one other thing I'll say on that too is, you know, it's going to take some time. And um, I don't think even if Denver continues to maybe struggle a little bit on the defensive side, I don't think that's necessarily indicative of Vic Fangio and his coaching ability yet. Um, because if you think about, you know, the defense they built in 2018 with the bears, there was nine of the guys on that defense were multi-year starters in Vic Fangio's system. The only new guys on the defense in 2018 were Khalil Mack and Roquan Smith, who are both, you know, top shelf guys. Anyway, you plug them in and, you know, they played excellent. Um, but majority of those guys of the starters on the 2018 defense, they had been with Vic Fangio for three years um, and some of them for, you know, two years, but so they'd been entrenched in that system and Denver, you know, has barely had an off season with them. They've had some injuries and they're in their first, you know, two games. And so that's kind of been my message to the fans that are, you know, maybe a little um, disappointed. And, and I, you know, I was disappointed as well at the way the defense played those first two, that first game, especially because I was expecting a lot coming from Vic Fangio and all the stuff we had heard in the off season. But I think it, um, taking a step back, it you know you got to recognize it's going to take a little bit of time to really let this defense kind of gel. But to your point, they weren't the worst thing on the field either against the Bears in that um, loss on Sunday. So let's talk about two pass rushers you mentioned there. The the Broncos are in a really unusual position of not having a sack through the first two weeks of the season. Sacks aren't everything. I think most people understand that by this point. The the average 2019 fan still probably wants to see them, but I think we're coming to an understanding that sacks aren't everything. But still, it's weird that they don't have any, especially with two top five picks at the position uh, of, of edge rusher, especially one in Von Miller, who's been about as good as it gets since he joined the Broncos in 2011. But when it comes to Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, 
give us a, a quick rundown on what each of them does well. What should we, we be watching for from Miller and Chubb on Sunday? Yeah, a quick thing on the sacks, and to your point, you know, sacks aren't everything, but Denver has also struggled a little bit to get pressure with those two edge guys. And so I think it has been a little bit surprising because from a reputation standpoint, I mean, those guys are, um, you know, Bradley Chubb was, uh, had 12 sacks as a rookie, which is, you know, um, pretty unprecedented. Von Miller, it, it beats Von Miller's rookie year, which was incredible as well. Um, and, you know, I think uh, Bradley Chubb was, you know, should have been in the running or what, you know, wasn't the running for um, defensive rookie of the year. Um, and so he's a, you know, great talent off the edge and he's still going to continue to grow and get better. But what I actually have seen from uh, Chubb, especially in the bears game was um, improvement in the run um, stopping department as well. He and Von Miller, even though they didn't get a lot of pressure against the bears were absolutely, um, you know, stellar in the running game. Um, and so, you know, that's what both of those guys bring is that versatility. Uh, you know, they're not only going to pass rush you off the edge, but they can also shut things down in the running game. Um, but in terms of not getting as much pressure, it's been a mix of, you know, the way teams are playing Denver currently. Um, they're playing them more conservatively, using the quick passing game, um, running the ball more. Vic Fangio talked about it in his press conference this week. Um, teams you know the Raiders ran more than they passed um and if I'm remembering correctly on the, the way the Bears um numbers split as well they ran more than they passed and that's you know unprecedented in the league today um but that's just the way teams are choosing to play Denver to try to neutralize those two guys because um they are coming at you um and so I think again to the the overall point of maybe fans expecting a little too much or a little disappointed I think we were really expecting those two guys to come out of the gate and you know, we saw what Vic Fangio did with Leonard Floyd and Khalil Mack, and we expected that to just, you know, really unleash Bradley Chubb and Vaughn Miller on the league in Vic Fangio's defense, and it hasn't really panned out that way. But I don't think it's necessarily a um, reflection on those two guys and their talent because at the end of the day, they're still the best, you know, pass rushing duo in the league. And when you give them chances in third and longs or the offense, you know, gets a lead and the team has to try to come from behind, um, you know, they're going to be coming after you. Pass rushers get a lot of the headlines. The guys who get the interceptions get a lot of headlines too. But a lot of what makes a defense work is role players doing their job. That's one of the things that the Bears did really well with Vic Fangio last year. We got to see it twice against the Packers in the NFC North. They just had a lot of guys who showed up and did everything correctly. In Denver, there's probably some of those same guys. So who's an under-the-radar player on the Broncos defense that Packers fans should probably know about? Yeah, I'll give you a couple of them that you might hear their name called um, on Sunday. Shelby Harris on the defensive line. Um, he's kind of jumped into that. Um, well, it's kind of been a mix of that Eddie Goldman, Akeem Hicks role um, in Vic Fangio's defense. And he's played really well in, on, on the interior defensive line um, and had some really good run stops against the Chicago Bears in the secondary um, Kareem Jackson is a guy that Denver brought over from the Texans, um, who spent most of his career at corner and moved to safety and is, you know, kind of a versatile guy in, on the back end. And for Denver, he's played a little bit of safety and some nickel because of some of the injuries that they've experienced. But he was flying around the field um, 
well, both in the Raiders game and the Bears game, he's been as advertised. Um, he can come up and play the run. Um, he has great instincts. He's smart and, you know, he fits perfectly into Vic Fangio's defense. He's versatile um, and has some great coverage ability. And so he and Justin Simmons both on the back end bring a lot of good versatility and made some big plays um, against the Bears on Sunday. And so I think those are two guys, Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson in the secondary uh, that you know, Aaron Rodgers in the passing game will have to watch out for. So we've been almost all offense or all defense, excuse me, so far. But let's flip to offense because the Broncos made a notable move at quarterback this offseason. In fact, a couple of them. They moved on from Case Coonham and they traded for Joe Flacco. What did you think of that move at the time? And has anything happened that would change your feelings one way or another since then? I thought the move was the best that Denver was going to get um, at the position. And so and it doesn't, I'm not super enthused. It doesn't sound very enthusiastic because it's not. <laughs> um, I don't think anybody was really, you know, ch cheering the fact that Denver traded for Joe Flacco. Um, I probably like him more than um, some folks. And after digging into the tape and the, the things that he brings to the table that we didn't have with Case Keenum, it doesn't mean I think that he's the answer or that he can really, you know, be the guy at quarterback, but I think he's um, the best we are going to get this season. Um, and also rec recognizing the fact that it wasn't going to stop Denver from drafting a quarterback. Um, if he was the plan A, which he is for this season, but if he was the plan, you know, for the future, then I think um, would have had some more problems with them bringing in Joe Flacco, but they also, you know, dipped into the quarterback position in the draft and picked Drew Locke. And, you know, a lot of people were saying they would still draft Drew Locke in the first round after having Flacco and, and they ended up um, being able to pick him up in the second. And so, you know, having Joe Flacco and a young quarterback to kind of groom behind him, I think is kind of the best of both worlds where Denver gets a guy who, you know, has won games, has experience, is a veteran at the position and is probably the best that they were going to get in the off season. Um, and so from that perspective, I liked the move. Um, and I think, you know, Joe Flacco fits in well with what Rich Scangarello wants to do on the offensive side. He's a veteran guy on a team with a lot of young players on the offense. Um, I think the only outside of Emmanuel Sanders, all the other, you know, skill positions are still on their rookie contracts. Um, some of them are rookies and were rookies last year. You've got Cortland Sutton, Deshaun Hamilton, Noah Fant, Philip Lindsay, Royce Freeman, all of those guys are first or second year players at the skill position. And so I think having a veteran guy at quarterback to really kind of command that group um, is key. And Joe Flacco brings that as well. And so, you know, I thought he played well against the Bears as well. You know, he had that uh, untimely pick in the red zone um, and they've got a, you know, Denver's offense has to figure the red zone out. But overall, I think I haven't changed my feeling um, on bringing in Joe Flacco and I was, you know, wasn't super high on him, but I didn't hate the move. And I think it made sense at the time. And I think it still makes sense uh, for Denver and, you know, Joe Flacco's kind of the, the best that they were going to get at the position. You know, I'm really sympathetic to that position. And I think you, you kind of raise a good point there because in 2019, if you don't have a, a quarterback, you don't really have anything. You can, you're kind of punting on a season. If you don't have a guy you're confident about, as your starter. So if you think that you're not in a good position with the quarterback spot, you might as well go out and get the best one that you can get for right now. And if that's Joe Flacco, I guess that's Joe Flacco. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, 
Denver hasn't been a, as lucky as Green Bay to be able to go from, you know, one Hall of Famer to the next, um, you know, with and having Aaron Rodgers at the position. And you're absolutely right. You know, they're they're kind of in that, um, you know, middle ground after the Peyton Manning retirement. And they've been there for the last couple of years of finding who's going to be that next guy. And that's what, you know, you typically see from teams after they lose a, you know, a, a top flight quarterback at, you know, um, I think the Packers and potentially maybe the Cowboys are one of the other teams who have kind of lucked into getting or lucked or, you know, skill as well in terms of drafting um, well, but been able to move from a solid quarterback position to another, you know, young rookie guy that uh, turned into somebody um, that would be the franchise guy. Everybody else kind of falls into that quarterback purgatory and kind of goes through the churn of that um, until they finally find their guy. And so, you know, I think Denver's, they're just in that churn and that's just how it works. You know, Elway takes a lot of criticism for not finding the guy. Um, you know, some of it's warranted. They swung and they missed on Paxton Lynch. Who knows what will happen with Drew Locke. But, you know, the, the quarterback position and being in that kind of quarterback um, churn um, is not unprecedented and everybody in the league struggles with it. And so that's why we see people, you know, when you have your guy, you hang on to him and pay him whatever he wants for them to, to stick around because it is so valuable. So before I let you go, I want to get your prediction for Sunday. I've seen a line as low as the Packers by seven and a high as high as the Packers by eight and a half. What would be your prediction for Sunday, Packers or Broncos? I really want to predict a Broncos win, but I I just don't think the way that they're playing right now that they can go into Lambeau and take on, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers on that offense. But then also what we've seen from the defense from the Packers, that's been really impressive. Um, some of the guys that they brought over, um, you know, Zadarius Smith off the edge um, and then some of the young players in the secondary have been really impressive as well. Um, Darnell Savage and um, Jerry Alexander have been playing well for you guys as well. And so um, I think with the improved defense and Denver struggle struggles on offense, um, and then, you know, the, the defense will have its hands full with Aaron Rodgers. Um, anytime you play him, you know, you have to be on your best game. And so I think Denver would it'd kind of be a bit of a miracle for them to pull out a win on the road um, against this team, but I hope they make it competitive and I hope they, um, you know, show some improvement from the last couple weeks. And so I still think the Packers probably end up win by, you know, two scores, um, at least, you know, maybe like 10 points or something. So I'm terrible at score predictions. And so I never, I never give a final score there. <laughs> if I do, it's always just way off. Um, but I, I do think the Packers will end up, you know, with the win, but I just, I hope Denver makes it competitive and, um, gives everybody a good game. He is Jeff Essery. You can find his work at milehighreport.com and on Twitter at Jeffrey Essery. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Again, one more big thank you to Jeff Essery of milehighreport.com for joining us on the podcast today. Check him out uh, at Jeffrey Essery on Twitter. He does some really good stuff for Denver. Uh, really good, in-depth, thorough authoritative breakdowns on defense, something that I think we're, we're kind of lacking um, in the football non-professional media world. Uh, authorities on defense are, are not as common as, as people who weigh in on offense. So it's good to have somebody like Jeff who's kind enough to join us today. I wanted to talk about something that I forgot to mention after Sunday's game, two uniform-related things that somehow didn't escape my notice but escaped my, my mention 
in the post-game podcast. We've got to talk about Aaron Rodgers' wristband and the captain patches. The wristband is interesting to me, not from a function standpoint, just from a uniform standpoint, because this is a big departure for Aaron Rodgers and what he's done in his career. He hasn't worn something like this since he was at Cal. I have a hard time doing a take on it other than that one, that it looks interesting to see him wearing that wristband. As far as its function on the field, so what? So he wears a wristband. Who cares? Anything he can do to make the game faster and easier for himself and the rest of the offense seems like a pretty good idea. It, it was odd to me to see people get bent out of shape over that. and I, I don't understand what the pushback was there. If it helps him get the plays in faster, isn't that a good thing? And shouldn't he be doing whatever he can uh, to get that done? And it doesn't even sound like he really used it all that often. And it wasn't really the plan for him to use it all that often anyway. And on top of that, other elite-level quarterbacks throughout the league use wristbands too. Russell Wilson wears one in, in Seattle. Tom Brady wears one in New England. I mean, come on. If those guys see it as a useful thing, why would you worry about Aaron Rodgers wearing it? The much more interesting thing out of those two is the the captain patches. For the first time since this became a thing in, I think it was 2006, 2007, the Packers are going to be wearing permanent captain patches on their uniforms. I was against this when it first started because I thought it kind of cluttered up the Packers' look. And I've come to kind of come around to it, especially when you have someone like Aaron Rodgers, who has been a captain enough times that he has all of the stars and the big C on the on the patch filled in. Uh, It looks sharp. Uh, It adds a little bit of an extra individualization to somebody's uniform, which I think is good within reason. And it's kind of a cool part of Matt LaFleur's culture change here in Green Bay. He's added a few little different things. Look at the backdrop in news conferences. Look at the, the smoke uh, coming out of the tunnel as players come onto the onto the field, uh, dimming the lights after touchdowns uh, during night games, just trying to get people to get loud and stuff like that. That that's cool, and all of these little things that he's doing are are a part of of the overall effort here in Green Bay. And I hope I hope it's representative of uh, of a, a good overall effort, and it seems to be working so far. But I think it, it is interesting, and I think the Packers made two. Good choices in Aaron Rodgers and Zadarius Smith as their permanent permanent captains. So I've got for you in this episode, we've got our traditional preview coming up on Friday and then a busy week next week because the Packers play on Thursday night again against the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, I do appreciate you listening. Again, big thanks to Jeffrey Essery for joining us on this particular episode, for giving us a little perspective on the Broncos. That was great stuff, and I, I hope you check out some of the stuff he's written for Mile High Report. If you like what you heard today and want to uh, help us keep things going, the best way to support us is to leave a rating and review on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. Taking your support to the next level, best way to do that is uh, to go to patreon.com slash sweep and leave us a dollar a month that helps offset some of our costs here for for hosting the site and the podcast. You can also check out our fine t-shirts and sweatshirts via our Teespring store. Click the shop link at thepowersweep.com to get your way over there. Any feedback, any thoughts, any questions you send our way, whether it's via, via Facebook, via Twitter, via email, whatever, helps us make this entire operation better because it helps us further our mission of helping everyone become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.